This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Now I got to come clean with you this morning about something that might offend about half of you, and that's okay. I just don't like baseball at all. I really don't. I wish I did. Because when I was a kid, I loved baseball. I thought it was uh, I thought it was amazing. I played baseball all the way through high school. Uh, and and, and, and I, I mean, I, as a kid, I collected the baseball cards. I did all that. I don't know if it was the strike ended season. I don't know if it was the steroids era. I don't know what happened, but something definitely disrupted the love of baseball. Because when I was a kid, I was completely captivated with the game. I, I grew up, I can remember watching sports with my mom and dad. And I can remember watching in the, in the mid 80s, the Kansas City Royals, which if you're a Royals fan, I'm sorry, um, but the Kansas City Royals taking the, the World Series by storm. I can remember George Brett and, and Brett Saberhagen. I remember that because that summer I traded three Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards for a Brett Saberhagen pitcher card. That was the dumbest move in the history of card trades ever because I thought he was awesome. And as a young kid, I was completely enamored with two baseball players. They were young at the time. They are a little bit infamous now. They won back-to-back straight years on the same team, rookie of the year. We called them the Bash Brothers. And their poster hung right above my bed. Y'all have any posters that hung above your bed? I had that. The Bash Brothers, Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. I mean, they could kill a ball. We know now that they could kill a ball because they were juiced, but (laughs) they could kill a ball. Loved them. And so when the 1989 World Series rolled around, That was the Battle of the Bay, the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland Athletics. I I was keyed into it because it was my favorite team, the Oakland Ace that the Bash Brothers played for. And I can remember distinctly during game three, sitting in my living room, watching the pregame as they were preparing. The A's were dominating the series. I mean, the night before, it had been one of the ugliest displays of offensive domination. And I can remember Tim McCarver showing some highlights. As a matter of fact, because of the great sources of video that we have out there now, we can watch this. I want to share this moment with you because it was profound. Flash forward to the bottom of the fourth inning. Dave Parker barely, by inches, just misses a home run. Candy Maldonado with the hesitation, allowing Jose Canseco to score, and he fails to get Dave Parker at second base, so the Oakland A's take... 
If you guys remember that moment, but the Bay Area quake hit right as they were preparing for Game Three in the World Series in 1989. There were double-decker bridges that collapsed. I don't know if y'all remember this. I mean, it was a huge earthquake. There was, I mean, just pandemonium at that moment. I mean, all over, people running. Scared, I canceled the game, and it really—I don't—I don't think it played for several days later. What strikes me is that the epicenter of that earthquake was miles away from that moment. The epicenter was actually located in the middle of a desert. The epicenter in an earthquake is the most central, powerful place. If you know about earthquake, an earthquake happens when two plates either are sliding across of each other and they they catch and the momentum of the plate carries it until it moves a little bit and then the earthquake happens or there's a, a divergent boundary where there's two plates across the earth's crust that are coming together. And I think that in that moment, God has given us something very powerful to learn about life. It's the first thing that's in your notes this morning. Our life's greatest potential and power is found at the center of our greatest conflict. Our life's greatest potential and power is found at the center of our greatest conflict. You see, life naturally has an epicenter. The epicenter is the most central part. Here's why this is important. What we make central, what we make the center of our lives will affect every other part of our lives. Every one of us in here right now has something that is living at the center of our life. Every one of us does. And the caution as we dive into it 
is that if we make the wrong thing central, we will break it or it will break us. What is central is central. Now, the most dangerous thing in our spiritual life and in our life in general is not for us straight up blatant rebellion. Most of us in this room understand rebellion. Rebellion is when God has a plan, I have a plan, I just blatantly choose to live out my plan instead of God's plan. But the most dangerous thing isn't blatant rebellion, it's instead compromise. And I would tell you this, that compromise often comes disguised as good. Compromise often comes into our lives disguised as something good. And we need to become the kind of people who refuse to settle for good. And we only settle for what God has for us. See, the problem with good the problem with good is really simple. It's, it's a personal definition. I get to decide what is good. When I'm trying to live a good life, that means I'm trying not to lie too much. I'm trying not to do too much that's bad. I'm trying to live a good life. And whose standard of good is that when I say I'm trying to live a good life. The problem with good is it's what we call a mixed standard. We don't want to settle for good. Instead, we want to live godly. There's a, a quote that I've heard my sister quote often. It, my sister works at a college in Memphis, Tennessee. And in the early 19th century in, in 1925, the president of this small college made a, a pivotal decision to make this an institution that would grow to be a, a, a standard in higher learning. And he said this. He said, good will always be the enemy of great. Good will always be the enemy of great. So, as he continued on, he said, So we will not endeavor to simply be good. We will push ourselves to be great. Because good is always going to be the enemy of something that's better. And at the center of our lives, I'm afraid that many of us have taken something that is good and put it there. But it's the wrong good. The first one that I would identify is this, is that some of us perhaps have put a good time at the center 
of our life. A good time. Now, I told you earlier that God has a plan for our lives. And what's really unique for most of us is that that part of this whole thing isn't something that we most of the time have to do a lot of investigation on. Now, I know that there's nuances and sometimes we hit a a patch, you know, vocationally and we're saying, God, I just need you to give me some direction. But if we've got $5 in our pocket and we're standing in the grocery line with $5 of groceries and I look over and I see a Snickers bar, I don't think many of us got to go, God, I, I want to steal that Snickers bar, but I just, I just don't know if it's right. You know, <laughs> that don't make sense. Most of us got that thing already buried deep inside of us and God has already given us an indication of what his way is. And it's my way or his way. When we place good times at the center of our life, when good times become the epicenter of our lives, we will sacrifice to experience a good time. In families that I've dealt with, I have seen men and women lay their marriage, their kids down on the altar of a good time. Because that thing had become the central thing in their life. This is one of the most difficult Verses in all of scripture, but it is so, so important to get this and to accept it and to know this about ourselves. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end, in the end, it leads to death. You see, that verse isn't just at that one point in Proverbs. It's recorded twice in the book of Proverbs. That same verse makes an appearance twice. And what it says is that I can think that that way is the best way to go. And I can be dead wrong. That the end of this path only leads to death. I mean, in life, we're going to live in that tension from this moment that we decide to follow Jesus until God takes us into eternity. The tension of knowing that God has a plan and that I have a plan and realize that most often compromise comes disguised as something good. And that's where we have to be honest and be able to say, is this my good? Have I defined this as good? Or has God defined this as good? The second place that we make 
a mistake in putting the wrong thing at the center of our lives. It's with good things. There are things that are in life, and as we talk about them, they're not bad things. As a matter of fact, I would say that most things that we deal with in life, all the way around the board, God created most of this stuff, and we sometimes like to vilify it and say that it's horrible, it's broken. But you know what? In the right context, When we talk about this today, sometimes we take a a good thing and put it at the center of our lives. And the, the issue with that is ultimately an issue of ownership. And we live in in a culture that is prone to long to own everything in our lives. Ultimately, to even live under the illusion that we own our life itself. I would like you to look at this quote from A.W. Tozer. As long as we think we own anything, that thing owns us. As soon as we know that we don't own anything, God owns us. You see, when I think that's my car, That's my house. Those are my clothes. That's my computer. As a pastor, this is my church. That's my kid. That's my wife. When I think I own anything, that thing owns me. But when I realize that I don't own anything, I don't. I don't. That is all God's. God has called me not to be an owner, but to be a steward. There's a big difference because ownership begins with the question, what am I going to do with it? Stewardship begins with the question, you own it, what do you want me to do with it? Do you see how those things are in different stratospheres? I mean, totally different perspectives on the same thing. Romans 1.25 says this, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than, than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. They served created things rather than the creator. And that's what happens when we presume ownership in our lives over good things. And let's just take a moment and talk about this. These are three things that I have regularly brought up. And the reason that I regularly bring these up is because they are in our culture, these big, huge pitfalls for many of us. The first one is money and possessions. Money and possessions. We live in a world that is all about one word. 
That word is more. My, my little girl's 19 months old. She already knows how to say more. <laughs> I mean, really. She's got some gummies. She gets done with them. What do you think she starts saying? More, more, more. I'm like, you already had some gummies. You don't need any more gummies. It's not good for you. But she knows that word now. I'm going to tell you something that Andy Stanley said. This is a profound, profound thought on this. That ownership is born out of an appetite and an appetite only knows one word. And that's more. When we look at the culture that we have uh, grown up in, most of us understand we have a lot of stuff. If you've traveled around the world and been to an underdeveloped country, you, you've seen poverty, okay? You've seen people who make $200 a year, not $200 a week and feel like that's bad pay, right? Families who uh, live on, on less than most of us bring home in a week. We have, in, in this world at this point, this been, I, and, and I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm outside of that. I, I can't say that I'm not, I'm, I'm right in the middle of that. And God regularly is convicting me. I'm reading a book on simplicity right now, and it has really rocked me. Because most of us find the kind of tennis shoes that we like and we go, I don't just need this pair. I would like another pair that would match another kind of outfit. Because I don't just need a white pair. Now I need a black pair. Right? Does that make any sense at all? It doesn't. But we think that way. As a musician, right? It's, I don't just need one guitar. I want to have about four or five of them. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with possessions, but when your possessions tar start to possess you, there's a problem. In the New Testament, we see Jesus encounter a rich young man. He's very wealthy, so much so that the Bible tells us that he's wealthy. When he encounters him, this young man says, you know, I, I know that there's something about you. I, would, I, I want to know what it would take. To, to come and follow you to experience eternal life. And he kind of goes through the commandments and he says, I've done all those things. And Jesus comes back and says, I'm take everything you have, sell it, and come follow me. And scriptures record that at that moment, he drops his head and walks away because his possessions possessed him. And in our culture, there's many of us that are right in the middle of that. The second thing that I would point out is that relationships, relationships are good things. God has blessed us with marriages and friends and co-workers, but it is very easy to let a relationship with a person replace the center of your life and become the center of your life. I've sat down. Uh, and counseling and working with couples before. And I, I remember this moment when uh, a, young, a young wife 
started, started saying this. And she said this. this is, I'm, I'm not even making this up. She said, you know, I just, when I've had a bad day, I feel like I need to talk to him. And I feel like I just need him to be around for pretty much the whole afternoon. I need, I need to know that he loves me and that he supports me. I need, to, I, need, I need that before I can do anything else. And I looked at her and I said, you need that from him or you need it from Jesus? Because if you need that from him before you need that from Jesus, there's something wrong. There's, that's not right. That's not the way that's supposed to work out. If you can't go on without knowing that he loves you and that he'll listen to you. No, I can't go on unless I know Jesus loves me and he'll listen to me. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what happens when everything is clicking and in the right place. But when I've made a relationship the center of my life, I will manipulate it and control it and try to make it into something that will break it or break me. And there's many, many, even great, wonderful marriages that have misplaced where the center of their life should be. And I would say this last one as a parent, that I think we live in a kid-centric world. It's remarkable to me even as much as, I mean, my daughter looked at me yesterday and she's got this, she says these two things now. She'll come up and go hug and she's got like that little kid hug now, you know, like wrap all the way around your, your neck and really pull you close. And then she'll lean back and she'll look at me and say, kissy. And I'm like, all right, whatever you want right now. You just, if you could say, buy me a car, if I could, you know. <laughs> and I understand, I know that many of us that our, our kids are this beautiful moment in our world. But if you place your children at the center of your life, you will break them. You will break them. If you place them at the center of your existence and your life revolves around them, you will break them. Because they were never meant to be the center of your life. You know why? Because she, I can say this about my daughter. She's not mine. She's not mine. I have her for a while to be a steward of. But she's not mine. And I don't have to worry about her. I don't have to get upset about it. Because she's not mine. She belongs to Jesus. And because she belongs to Jesus, I can trust him. She's not the center of my world. See, I can't make her that because she's not mine. Just give it. I'm not the owner there. She's my daughter and I love her, but she belongs to Jesus. And parents, sometimes you just got to Remind yourself. 
when you hit those moments and it gets a little difficult and the kids ain't responding to the stuff that you've been trying to do. Y'all know those moments. Remind yourself that, Jesus, I trust you with them. When they're out and they're at school and you think that thought of, man, I just don't want them to fill in the blank. I just want them to stay away from fill in the blank. Trust Jesus. Don't act like you're the owner. Don't act like their world is your world to manipulate. Trust Jesus with your kids. Do not make them the center of your world. So good times and good things. And the last thing that I would say is good deeds. Now in the South, especially in Stanley County, we have found it very easy to refine the gospel down to a system of things that we say, do this or don't do this. Do this and you're a Christian, do this. Don't do this, do this. Don't do, do do's and don'ts. We're nice, we're kind. And around here, it's I, in the morning when I'm driving into work, I, I think I get waved to on average about 25 times on the way to work. You know, it's amazing because it's not like that everywhere and that's beautiful. But if we get confused about what needs to be the center of our world and we start to think that it's me doing the right thing, we'll blow it. Let me show you a verse, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace you have been saved. And this not from yourself, it is the gift of God. Not by works, not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works. It's not, we are not saved because of what we do. Our relationship with God is sustained by his grace and love for us. And if we ever start to think that the center of my world is all wrapped around me getting it right. If you think one moment that you can be perfect, think back to when you were in middle school. Y'all remember middle school? I had the ugliest haircut in the whole wide world when I was in middle school. I did this crazy swoop thing up and it was blow dried and gelled and I was a hot mess with that thing. <laughs> and I thought I was awesome. I thought I was cool. Think back 20 years. Think about what you thought you had figured out at that point. Think about it because 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to look back to right now and feel the same way. The truth is, is that we can't place these things at the center of our lives. Look at this verse, Mark 10, 18. This is Jesus speaking. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, 
No one is good except God alone. What? The only thing that's good is God. You see, the only center to an authentic life is Jesus. The only center to an authentic life is Jesus. It's just that simple. And this is the verse that we're going to anchor in during this series. It's really, uh, to me, one of the most pivotal statements in all of human history. John 14, 6. This is, again, Jesus speaking on the Gospel of John. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am life. I am life. You think that a good time, that that's really living? No, I'm life. You think that the greatest moment in your life is when you see your kids succeed? No, I am life. You think that you're the best that you could ever be, that you're the most fully alive and most ready to be used when you've got it all right? No. I am life. It's one of the most profound statements ever in human history. Jesus says, you think all of that's being alive. No, it's not. I am life. I am life. And anything short of that is a pale facsimile of what life should be. Now, earlier, I told you something that I want to revisit. So that your greatest power and potential comes at the center of your greatest conflict. The greatest power and potential in your life comes at the center of your greatest conflict. Where's the greatest conflict in your life right now? Where is it? Where's the greatest conflict in your life right now? Would you say that I'm struggling financially? Just don't have enough money to pay the bills? Is that your greatest conflict right now? Would you say I'm really dealing with my kids, so I'm just really... I just want them to be this and they're being this and I just don't know how to get them from here to there. Is that your greatest conflict right now? Or would you say that right now the greatest amount of friction that I feel in my life is between me and God? That what's shaping me right now isn't my kids it's my god right now the greatest source in my life is jesus because he's at the center of my life and right now when there's something that's broken and wrong in me it rubs up against god 
and I feel the friction. Right now when there's something that's wrong in my head, a thought that pops in, I feel the tension insert itself between me and Jesus. Where is the greatest source of conflict in your life right now? Because at the greatest source lies our potential and our power. And if we've placed Jesus at the center of our lives. The potential and the power of what God can do through you is limitless. Let's pray. Jesus, today, I just want to thank you that we can look into your heart and see that you, God, are life. And so today, God, through your great mercy, remind us that everything that we have defined as being alive that does not include you, Jesus, that has not placed you, Jesus, at the center of it, everything is a bad picture of life. For some of us in this room today, we may have had our eyes open to a level of compromise that has existed there for far too long. Where we have accepted something that is good because, Father, we know that our kids are good. We know that our relationships are good. We even believe that money is good. But all of that stuff, when it becomes the center of our lives, God, it will break us. And so we just want to look at you today. And ask you, Jesus, by your grace and mercy, to be the center of our lives. So with nobody looking around, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'd like to ask you a question. It's a question that we've already posed, but I just want you to think about it right now. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But have you made something other than Jesus the center of your life? Have you made something other than Jesus the center of your life? Have you made your job the center of your life? Have you made your kids the center of your life? Have you made your marriage, a relationship? Have you made something the center of your life other than Jesus? If you would identify today and say that that's me, I've done that and I want to, I want to change. I want to move away from being that person. I realize the error of that now. I want to place Jesus at the center of my life. If that's you, would you just, nobody's looking. I'm not going to ask you to get up and come down, none of that. But I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? I see those. Anybody else that would say, hey, I've made something other than Jesus the center of my life and I want to make Jesus the center of my life. Is there anybody else? I see those hands.
Is there anybody that way today? And I think there's a lot of us that are here would say that I'm struggling with this. I know that I want Jesus to be the center of my life, but I've, I have really struggled putting this at the center and then this at the center. And, and, and I just, I, I want to get it right. I want to walk out of here. I want to live in God's power and his authority. I want to live with Jesus at the center of my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Let's pray. I want to pray for you guys. God, for those of us that are in the room today that would say that we have struggled. Okay, I put myself right in the middle of that. We've struggled with placing you at the center of our life. God, we just want to repent for taking a good thing and trying to turn it into our God. And so... With your grace and mercy through Jesus, God, today we repent. And we just ask you, God, to be the center of our existence, to be the center of our emotions and of our will, to be the center of our thoughts. God, would you be the center of our relationships? Would you remind us in life that we're not the owner? that we are a steward and that you have invited us to follow your plan in this world. And for those of us that have struggled in this decision, would you give us strength when we feel weak? And would you, God, give us wisdom when we need to make decisions after your great power, would you lead us and guide us as we endeavor to put you at the center of everything that we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How about a a hand clap for the people who made that decision today?